We have a lot packed into this service, so I'm going to pray, and we're going to get right into this. We're starting a series on the first letter of John. Now, there's John the Gospel, and then there's these awkward-sounding books like 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, or 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Same author, different books, okay? We're going to be in 1 John, also known as 1 John. Let's pray. I'll tell you who he's talking to and show you how he's talking to us. Lord, your words for your people, not my words for them. I don't want to say what you don't want said, and I certainly don't want your people hearing what isn't from you. So, Lord, give me the demeanor, the cadence, the spirit, the pace, the timber to speak your words for your people so that it will not return void, but will accomplish what you want it to accomplish, not what I want it to accomplish. And remind us, Lord, that This is your message for us, not my message for these folks. Pray these things in Jesus' name, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. John's a, um, he's an interesting character, honestly. I I know that in the, I was joking, the gospel of John, John is referred to as the beloved disciple or the one Jesus loves. Um, When they're running to the grave, he and Peter, you know, uh, the one who Jesus loves was running ahead and then Peter came up and caught him, that kind of thing. I don't know if John put that in there or if that's the kind of the tradition of the people that worked its way in. I don't know exactly, but I do know that John is, is, is perplexed. John is someone who, who walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, loved Jesus, was loved by Jesus, and knew Jesus well. He was a first-person witness to everything that Jesus did once his ministry began. So John planted some churches, and most of these churches, as far as we know, and this is one of those letters that went kind of floated around, but his churches were in the Ephesus area, which is modern-day Turkey, Modern-day Turkey, uh, called the province of Asia back then, um, what was going on was kind of strange. In it, and I gotta, as a preacher, I have to tell you, we've talked about text, uh, text out of context is a pretext for trouble, right? So i got to give you a little background. Now, there's some big churchy words in here. Uh, actually, they're heresy words. I'm going to tell you what they are, try to explain to you what's going on, so that when you read 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, or the Gospel of John, you will read with eyes open and ear, eyes unclouded and ears unblocked. Because Paul, or Paul, John, I'm going to make that mistake a couple of times because you just got done with Colossians. John has, he's very intentional. You'll hear themes in the Gospel of John, 1, 2, and 3 John, of God is light, God is love. God is light is the theology, God is love is the ethic or our behavior. So when you hear these things throughout this book, remember why John is speaking that way. One of the things that, that, that John is getting at is he's trying to show some people that are believing wrong things that God and God alone is worthy of worship and God in the person of Jesus is fully God and fully human at the same time. The people that he was trying to counter were both the people, the Christians who believe things the way most of us do, and these people, these early, they're called the early Gnostics, G-N-O-S-T. I-C-S, Gnostics. Gnosis is the word in Greek for knowledge. It's the same word, if you think about it, Gnostic with a G in front of it is the same way of us saying knowledge with a K in front of it. 
we just have a different silent letter. But the Gnostics, the, now it wasn't full-blown like it was in the, in the later first century and, and second, um, but what's, what's bubbling up in churches, Paul talked to them in Colossians. We just went through that book. John is addressing these folks in Ephes, in the, around Ephesus. So here's a little background. Gnosticism, um, they believe that the body... Our flesh, what's corporeal, things we can touch and see and smell and taste. That the body, which is matter, is evil. Okay? So anything you can touch or see, smell or taste, is evil. Spirit is good. Now, as a result of this belief system that, that, that bubbled up, people were believing that, 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 that if I have flesh, the flesh is evil, but the spirit is good, so Jesus who was spirit and flesh, it couldn't be that way. So they started dividing who Jesus, the historical character, and the Christ were. Now this gets really tricky, but I'll do my best to sum it up, and there's going to be one spot where I divide into two different places because there's two kind of versions of Gnostics. So here's where we are. They believed that, it was, that anything that was corporeal, anything that was of the body, smell, taste, touch, was evil. And God, who is pure spirit, is good. Therefore, our bodies are evil and, how they made this leap, I don't know, inconsequential. So in other words, what I believe, if it's spirit and good, and how, what I, how I behave with my flesh and bones, um, those are so separated that what I do with my body, what I do in, in, in this world doesn't matter. That's what they had convinced themselves of. Salvation is, is an escape from the body. It is achieved not by faith in Christ, but by some special knowledge, gnosis. So they believe somehow, some way, that, they, that, that what John had written in his gospel, what, what the other apostles, the letters that they had written to the churches that floated around all the churches, they had convinced themselves that what the scriptures, the Old Testament, and those letters that we now call the New Testament, floating around, that they don't mean what they say. They mean what the Spirit has told me they mean. So now they have a, a knowledge beyond the apostles. So beyond Paul, beyond Peter, beyond Andrew, beyond John, beyond any of them. These people had, 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 had convinced themselves that the Holy Spirit, which I would say is probably a demonic spirit trying to pervert the truth of God, but they believed they were getting these special revelations and they knew better than the people who actually knew Jesus knew. Christ's humanity was denied in two different ways. Here's the one, this is the place where I'm splitting off. Here's the one, this isn't the one that, that, that John is dealing with, but when you read the other, other accounts, like in Colossians, I want you to be aware of it. One version of Gnosticism separates the historical character of Jesus and the eternal Christ this way. They say that Jesus didn't really exist, but the Christ appeared to be like a person. So he came on scene, not really being flesh, but kind of a phantom that you could touch and taste and feel and smell. But he wasn't real because if he were real, that's evil. And God is spirit. He can't, he can't be evil. So basically what they're telling us is that if Christ appeared to be a man but wasn't actually a man, then Christ deceived his people by telling us that he was indeed flesh and blood. Now, that's called docetism, because docet, whatever that word is, 
means apparently. He appeared to be a man. Now, here's the one. That's what Paul is dealing with in the church in Colossae. Here's what John is dealing with. I know, I know. Stick with me. It's a lot of stuff right here. But I'm going to show you why it's relevant today. The others, and these are the ones that John's dealing with in these particular books. Others said that, that when Jesus was in historical figure, he was born of Mary. Uh, he grew up. He had a childhood. And then when he got to be 30 years old and John the baptizer baptized him, that when the father spoke, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, they say that the eternal Christ came and assumed or took on or took over the historical character of Jesus. So Jesus never spoke for himself again. The Christ took over and pretended to be Jesus. And then right before his beating and, and crucifixion, that the eternal Christ left and allowed this man, Jesus, to be murdered on his behalf. Now, yes, I'm a little bit biased against these particular beliefs because they are not what the church stands on. They're not the witness of the scriptures. They're not the witness of Jesus himself. And they certainly aren't the witness of the Holy Spirit as he came to the, to the, to the apostles at Pentecost and told us what is. Because if Jesus, the historical person, and the Christ, if they weren't the same, then we're doomed They don't see Jesus as the Christ, but rather a vessel that the Christ either used or, I would say, abused by taking away his personhood. Since the body is evil, it was either treated harshly, as we see in Colossians, like you try to get rid of it, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, flog yourself to try to take away the influence of, of what's evil, your, your matter, um, or because your body is inconsequential, this is what the people in John's day then it doesn't matter what I do. I can do anything I want because I have this special knowledge. My spirit is good. So what I do now today doesn't matter because what I do now today is evil anyway. So I can indulge every desire I have and it has no consequence in eternity. Now, that's Gnosticism, early Gnosticism in a nutshell. I know it's a lot. But what does that have to do, I mean, is it different today? I'm going to tell you that the devil has not changed his strategy, nor has sin that lives within me changed his tactics. If you think about why people would, would start thinking, it's not what the scriptures say, it's what I think the scriptures say, or it's what the scriptures point to that are beyond the scriptures. And I have a special revelation. I know more than, than, than the apostles. I know more than Jesus. That's self-worship. What is it in our culture that isn't that? You hear people say, I'm, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I'm not really religious. Yeah, I'm not, but I, I have my own thing. I think about higher things. But, but, but then if you watch behavior, behavior often points toward a difference between belief and ethic. Some people have decided that they can do whatever they want and no one, including God, can or will judge them and that when they get most angry is when someone says, no, that's wrong. How can you, who do you think you and how dare you? You have no right to judge. See, here in our culture, people claim their truth, not the truth. And what we do is inconsequential. No accountability to God. Who is that not Adam and Eve in the garden? Don't just, you can do anything you want. Just don't do this. Well, 
What's going to happen if I, well, you're going to die. Oh, you're not going to die. God just doesn't want you to be like him. You're, come on, just take a bite of that chocolate. And I've even seen this, and this is on, I, I, I watch, I don't have a cable anymore. We just stream stuff. But on some of the newer shows, I'm hearing this a lot. The universe wants me to have this. Or the universe doesn't like me very much. Now, when did the universe become personified? When did we anthropomorphize, make, put human quality, thought, will, desire, hopes, evil and, and good and evil, when did we put that on something as, as vast but as ambiguous as the universe? See, what we're doing in our culture, when you watch it, and sometimes it seeps into our own lives, we have now decided that we don't want God to be God, but we have to have something greater than ourselves that either does things for us or punishes us for bad. So we, we talk about the universe having a will, higher knowledge. See, we think we're so evolved and so smart that our philosophies, our worldview, our thought life is so much greater and grander than those primitive people in the first century. And in reality, what the Gnostics believed is what our culture is bowing down to. We're either Docetists, we're Gnostics, or we're antinomians. Antinomianism, it's not a law-free gospel, it's a lawless gospel. Do whatever, whenever, however you want, and no one can say anything. Now, that's the background. John is upset. He's upset because he's got people that he led to Christ saying, I don't believe in Jesus, the Christ anymore. I only believe in the Christ, and Jesus was just a vessel. And these people are deciding that what they do, how they behave is inconsequential, and they're doing the most vile. There are things that these people were doing that I cannot say from this pulpit. Not just because there's children here, but because I... I think you have dignity, and I wouldn't use such words. And he's upset that the people that have a more orthodox view, that, that believe that Jesus is God with skin on, and the incarnation, the hypostatic union, here's what that means. God moved in with us, moved in next door. He became one of us, and he's both human and divine, merged into one person, God in a bod. Those people who John loves what they're believing— are being angry and vile and mean, and I mean mean, to the people that think that they have a higher knowledge. So John has this church, these churches that are splitting, and their behaviors on both sides are unthinkable, and their beliefs, some have good belief but bad behavior, others have bad belief but bad behavior, and he wants to tell them something. So he has two purposes in this book, this chapter even. Those that love Jesus and that follow Christ, that have an orthodox view, God in, God in Christ, God in Je two natures, one man, fully divine, fully human. He wants to remind them that they need to behave like Jesus if they believe like Jesus. And these folks, he wants to remind them that you're not as smart as you think you are. What was revealed to us and what we told to you is truth. And if you behave as if it's not, or you believe as if it's not, you're a liar. So he's corrective. And, and, and John gets pretty pokey. And it can come off like legalism, but it's not. It's a reminder of who we are and whose we are.
Now, one more thing before we read. John, if you remember in the gospel according to John, that gospel starts off like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God in the beginning. And then later on in John 1.14, it says, and the Word became flesh and moved in next door. Here, he does talk about the Word of life, but when he talks about the eternal life, he's talking about Jesus the Christ. Not the Christ, who isn't Jesus, but Jesus the Christ. It reads like this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. Notice what he's doing. He's reminding them that, it's, that Jesus was flesh and bone. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. And notice he doesn't just say Jesus and doesn't just say the Christ. He says Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Now, there's a lot in there. We're not going to go into all of that because these themes will be developed and woven into the rest of the study of this book. But he is starting from the beginning like he did in the gospel according to John, saying, you don't get to decide what God did. I saw it, I heard it, and I touched the man. And you'll see he'll start using other things of matter like the blood of Christ coming up. It reads like this. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and don't have any and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him and one another or with one another with the blood in the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's behavior. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Let me just deal with the light and darkness thing. I've said this before, but John uses light and darkness because it is a universal concept and everyone understands it. From the time that you're able to articulate words, you say to your mom, you say to your dad, you say to whoever your caregiver is, I'm afraid of the dark, would you turn on the light? When you turn on light, darkness goes away. Light, darkness is not, it's a thing in and of itself, it is the absence of light. Here's how we know that. When the power goes out at home, you look for a candle or a flashlight, right? And the flashlight makes darkness go away. Is there a such thing as a flash dark? Isn't that ridiculous to even think about that? Can you imagine having light somewhere and being able to flip a switch and darkness in this little tube pushes light away? It can't happen. It's not the property of light. The property of light overwhelms the property of darkness because the property of darkness has no property. It's just the absence of light. So when he's talking about God is light and anyone who, walk, who claims to be in the light but walks in the darkness, you're a liar. 
Because you can't be in the light and be in the darkness at the same time. What I believe and what I talk about and how I behave cannot be separated. John is very clear on that. That sometimes we think that I, I, I think this way, so it doesn't really matter how I behave. He even goes so far as to say that if you claim to have the love of God, but you hate your neighbor, you're a liar. He's not messing around. He's trying to save people who have gone astray, and he's trying to remind the saved to behave like they're saved. The church can be mean. And if every time I took a shot from someone, if I stood up and preached bile and bitterness and angry and, vit- and anger and vitriol, I'm not living as Christ did. I don't think there's a Sunday in the last several years that before I stand up, there's not some shot that someone takes at me one way or the other. And you've never heard about it because it would be wrong to stand up and tell you what someone did to me when I'm supposed to love my enemies, pray for those who persecute me, and to never be offended again. How is one capable, how is one able to do that? I can on my own. But I can't claim to live in the light and behave like I'm in the darkness. And folks, neither can you. If you're a follower of Christ, here's what you need to do. I hate that terminology, but I just used it. In order to follow Christ, you actually have to follow Christ. Picture Peter. Remember when he was fishing and Jesus walked up and said, come and I will make you fishers of men. I don't think he did it like this. Come and I will make, hey, come on, come on me. Follow me. I'll show you how to reach people. What if Peter said this? I'll catch up with you later. Just tell me where you're headed. How's that going to go? But you know, there is a story of a guy who did just that. Remember the story of the rich young ruler, the rich young man? He comes up to Jesus and he says, good teacher. Why do you call me good? No one's good, but God alone. How, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you know the commandments. Love the Lord your God. Don't murder. Don't kill. Obey your parents. I've kept all those since I was a kid. He says, well, one thing, the scripture says, he looked at him, Jesus looked at him and loved him, and then said, one thing you lack, sell everything you have, it's not about money, give to the poor, follow me. What's he saying to the guy? Everything that you count on, everything that you built, your own little kingdom, throw it away and come follow after my kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness and all these things will be added. But you know what the guy did? It said that his face dropped and he walked away. So come follow me, Peter. I'll catch up with you. No, he, he dropped everything and he followed. The rich young man, come follow me. Sell everything you have, give to the poor. Get, give up your own will and come follow my will. The guy walked away and you know what Jesus did? He chased him down and said, oh, I didn't mean it was hyper, hyperbolic. I was talking about this great big thing and I'm just trying to make a point because it's going to end up in scripture. No, he let him go. Why? Because there are two types of people in the world. Those who are messed up, but think they're not. And those who aren't, because they know they are. There's the sinners who think they're righteous, and the righteous who confess that they're sinners. That's what John's saying. 
it was quoted by Soren Kierkegaard thousands of years later. But John is saying, if you think you're all that, if you think you're, you've got something beyond Scripture, I'm calling you back and I'm calling you out. And if you think that your behavior doesn't matter, woe to you. You just call God a liar. And those Christians who believe right, but they're, they're, they're gossiping and, 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 and saying terrible things. They're, they're commenting on YouTube videos on the internet. We all know how that goes. That's always, always uplifting. <laughs> you made a political statement on Facebook and everyone just said, I agree wholeheartedly. Christians turn toward people that are walking away from the faith and they're treating them like God doesn't love them. Pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemy. That means to love, to behave lovingly towards someone who wants harm to come to you. That means to behave lovingly towards someone who actually is actively seeking to do harm to you. That's what it means to follow Christ. That's what it means to, to, to say, God, I don't want to do this. I die. This is just too hard. But I don't want to do what I want to do. I want to do what you want me to do. That's Jesus in the garden. Just days before, or moments before he was, he was arrested he kneels down in the garden to pray to the Father. He's sweating blood, and he says, Father, if you could take this from me, please do, but I don't, I don't want to do what I want to do. I want to do what you want to do because I know. His human part is crying out and saying, I don't want to suffer. And the divine part is winning out and saying, "What? I love these people more than I love me. Now, two things as we end. One, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, if you believe right, look at your behavior and discern if you're walking in the light or if you're trying to walk in the darkness, but call it light. Because if you do that, you're lying. And if you think you've got this all figured out, and you're not sinful, Jesus is a liar because he says everyone needs to be bought back. And when you treat people who don't believe the way you do by hating them in Jesus' name, then you're not walking in the light. If you're someone who's considering Christianity, if you're someone who's feeling offended right now because I said, well, I'm a, I'm a spiritual person. I'm not, just not religious or I'm not accountable to anybody else. And, and, and you're like, well, that's, he doesn't know me. You're right, I don't. And I'm not trying to be condescending and I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to offend you, but I am trying to poke you. If you really believe that you're enlightened, if you really believe you have a brain and understanding that is greater than all of history, then seek the truth. Read it, study it, analyze it. Read people who've thought on it. 
Not just the people that have told you that this is what it means and this is how ridiculous Christians are, but actually do the work for yourself. Have the mind that you claim to have and study. Try to prove that this is out of line. Try to prove that this is wrong. I'm so confident in this that you will know the truth if you seek it, and it will set you free. As a Christian talking today to some of you who are like, I don't know about this thing, I don't want you to believe like I believe. That is not my goal. I'm concerned about your eternal address. And you might think there isn't one. Okay, find out for yourself. Debate and argue, but not online, because you can't look at the person. You can't see their heart for you. Christians don't want you to believe what we want. We want you to have everlasting life and paradise. Jesus himself in John chapter 17, verse 3 says, and this is everlasting life. He's talking to the Father about us. He says, this is everlasting life, that they know you, not just know about you, but know you, the one true God. That's all we want for you. That's not a terrible thing. Now, you might learn and grow and decide, nope, not for you, but at least do the work. Because what if the Christians are right? What if God came in flesh, he walked among us, he taught, and he died so we don't have to suffer suffer everlasting separation from God? What if Christians are right and every one of us will indeed face judgment before the God of the universe? If we're right and you stand before God and you look him in the eye, You stand bold. Here's one thing I promise you, you will not be able to say. Look what I did. Because that is hubris, arrogance, and pride. The only thing that I can say when I face judgment is, thank you for what you did. Humility and redemption. If you're a follower of Christ, I want to assure you that you got it right. Now act like it. And if you're someone who's not following Christ yet, I want to assure you that if you seek it out, you'll find it. And if you don't seek it out, it's probably because you don't want it. And that is Gnostic. John wants you to know that Jesus loves you. And if you know that Jesus loves you, he wants you to treat others the way he treats you. And the message is exactly the same for those who don't know him yet. God loves you, and he wants to change you so that you can love others the way he loves you. John does not separate what we believe and how we behave. He also doesn't separate between those who are in Christ and those who aren't because the desire, the mission, the heart of God is that all would know him and be loved by him and walk with him, period. Let's pray. Lord, I know it's getting late. And if people have to 
get up and head out because they need to grab their kids or they have somewhere else to be. Please let them do that without feeling judged or even noticed. But those of us who decide to stay and sing one more song, Lord, we ask that you be glorified in it. Give us the courage, the will, the power of your Holy Spirit to help our behaviors match our beliefs. We pray this in Jesus' name, through the power of your Spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. When your behavior doesn't match your beliefs, confess. That's telling God what he already knows. And he's faithful and just. He'll forgive you and cleanse you and purify you of all unrighteousness. But thinking, if, thinking that you're righteous kind of makes you not. So let's be a people who are humble, not full of hubris. Let's be a people who love those who hurt us. Because God in Christ, love those who hurt him. Remember? Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. That is the Christian call. The Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. So look on his face. I know I say that every week, but think about it. The God of the universe smiling at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.